Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin, and this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Perennials. You might not see yourself like this, but you 100% are an investigator, an educator, and a communicator. As a pet sitter, we get to ask really good questions every single time we are working with a client or even hiring somebody. We're also in the business of educating our clients on proper pet care, on what it means to be a good pet parent, and we do all that through our communication and our writing skills. Today, we're really excited to have Arden Moore on the show to talk about her lifetime of experience helping people care for their pets better and doing it in an interesting way. Let's get started. Well, first of all, pause up to you, Colin and, and Megan and the whole team at Pet Sitter Confessional. And I, I appreciate having the chance to be on your podcast. Um, my last name is Moore. I, I think that's going to say it all during our talk. I have done many things. I jokingly say I wear a lot of collars in the in the pet world. And for a lot of the folks, uh, I have a great appreciation for professional pet sitters. I work closely with them. and. I think it's very important to know when to pivot and when to keep growing and going. What I did 20 years ago, I'm glad I have expanded or chose other paths. So I don't know how else to explain it, but people know me as America's pet health and safety coach because I'm very passionate about teaching veterinary approved pet first aid in a fun way. And secondly, like you, I'm comfortable behind a microphone. I was a reporter for daily newspapers for 20 years. And now I host a podcast called Oh Behave on Pet Life Radio. It's been on the air since 07, Colin. What do you think? <laughs> That's it a is, long time. <laughs> and we just realized the light bulb went on. My producer, Mark Winter, duh. We are the longest continuous running pet podcast on the planet. Wow. So, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't pop a single P. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> a lot of practice. So, yeah. So, I, I love to write. I love to interview people. I love to save lives for pets. I have done a lot of study in cat and dog behavior. And I am a fear free uh, pet certified professional. I'm one of their national speakers. So I guess you could say Arden Moore is a student and a teacher in doing what she can to do the best for pets and their people. I absolutely love that. And and I also love your kind of non-traditional way you got into the pet care industry. So you you started out as as a journalist actually. Uh, what what was it about you that drew you to being a journalist and writing in that way? I've always had a natural curiosity my my dad used to say, will you stop saying why? <laughs> why, dad? Why does, what happens? So I think being a curious kid and in high school with a name like Arden, you don't know if I'm a man or a woman, a kid, you know, you didn't know my gender on a byline by Arden Moore. And I love sports. I brazenly walked into the Lake County Star which is in Crown Point, Indiana, as a, I think I was 16 years old, and I convinced them to hire me to be their sports writer for their weekly newspaper. 
<laughs> so I worked at the high school paper, Crown Point High School Bulldogs. Woo! It was called the Inklings, like an inkling of an idea. Huh. So I was writing, learning how to be a, a good writer and a reporter. I had an I had an awesome journalism teacher. Shout out to Janice Dean. She's around still. She's from Elkhart, Indiana. She's my Facebook friend. She helped me get my start. And so I'm working at the high school newspaper and the weekly newspaper in the town. And when the byline would go on the sports section, it would say by Arden Moore. But it would be hilarious because I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm old. I would come to the press box with my little credentials and they said, no, 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 no. That, that seat's for Arden Moore for the Lake County Star. We're waiting for him to get here. <laughs> That's me. So, um, but I, I got to learn really well and I, I love sports and I ask a lot of questions and I try to keep my ears open for the answers, which is another art in writing is to listen. Mm. So I started humbly as a high school sports writer. And from there, I went uh, to Purdue University. I worked full time while I went to college full time. And I had to, um, I left home when I was 18. Fun stepmom story, which will not go on the air. But I just, I, instead of having a pity party, I said, I'm going to do something. And so working full-time and going to college full-time, I actually graduated in four years. And the day I graduated, the daily newspaper in my area, the Post-Tribune, offered me a full-time job. Mm. So I was very fortunate. And then I worked there for many years. And then I went to the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. It's a Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper in South Florida. And I worked there from nine years. I covered everything from Super Bowls, serial killers, space shuttles. I got to expose a lot of things. And I was an assistant sports writer, uh, editor for a while. And then I left and became a a senior writer at Rodale Press. And people are like, what? Well, Rodale Press in its heyday was known for Prevention Magazine, Men's Health, uh, uh, bicycling, all these n- amazing magazines and books. Mm. And so I worked in the book division, but I um, moonlighted as a magazine writer for them. And uh, i that's when they started a magazine. It was called Pets, Part of the Family. And I think that's where I've always grown up with pets. I grew up on a lake, uh, backyard lake was called Hermit's Lake in Crown Point, Indiana. We had um, Corky the cat, Crackers the the dog, Peppy the dog, and Quack Quack the the seasonal duck that would visit us. And I always grew up with animals. I always loved to write. And so when this magazine started, I was in. And after that, I left uh, and became self-employed on my own choice because back in 2000, all the all the sites were needing people to fill their content. We're talking like Johns Hopkins. I did the A to Z Johns Hopkins medical thing, p- getting paid like five figures. It was crazy. Wow. And yeah, back in the day when they had money. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know what happened, but I said, I don't think I need the W2 world. So ever since then, I have been 22 years now 
as uh, my own boss, I guess. But it isn't your own boss because you have more bosses. But I just evolved and I realized I'm self-disciplined and I like to write about a lot of topics and I do my best to find the best sources to get the best information with apologies to Dr. Google. Sorry, he's not on my radar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is is a really good point as far as where to go for good information and staying on top of things. There's a lot out there. And as, as pet sitters and dog walkers, we have pet parents that look to us for, for resources or as, for as information hubs. Where do you like to go for reliable information whenever you have questions that come your way? Well, I also respect the pet sitters that I see on their websites. They have very good blogs with great information and they cite the sources. And for example, I think uh, I'm a big fan of some of these following sources. If you're looking for great information about cat health, about cat behavior, please go to catvets.com. Catvets.com is run by the American Association of Feline Practitioners. Shoo, that's a friggin' mouthful, Colin. (laughs) But these are bored certified veterinarians in feline medicine. So you can't get any better than that. Mm. People like Dr. Elizabeth Colloran, who's one of my personal mentors. She is wonderful. So for um, the folks that are doing blogs, the pet sitters out there, check out catvets.com. They encourage you to be able to use some of their information. Of course, credit them, put a little URL for them. Another great source, fear, free, happy, Homes. This is the website that has free graphics, free articles, free videos, all veterinary and animal behavior approved, and it's run by the Fear Free Pets. Many of you know Dr. Marty Becker is uh, is the one that is the genius behind Fear Free Pets, and I'm so happy because there's different modules for training tracks, and the latest one now. It's been a long time coming is the one for folks that are professional pet sitters. Yeah. So please check that out. Get certified as a fear-free pet professional in, in, in uh, pet sitting. It, you're, you can't go wrong. Um, the, um, the American Kennel Club and the Cat Fancier Association, AKC and CFA, those two are great sites, too, that have good, solid information. And they also tell you a lot about specific breeds. So those are the, some of the sites. I, I, I might go to some specialty sites, but I don't go to Joe Bob Billy's we think we're a vet site.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also, the other issue is be careful. I learned this a long time ago from great editors. That if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. And it sounds disrespectful, but it really isn't. What it means is if an information sounds too good to be true, or it's from a friend, but the friend doesn't have the credentials, do your homework, make sure that the information is solid. Uh, Whenever there's a study mentioned, Find out how many pets were in the study. I'm not kidding. Years ago, there was a study about cat litter dust, and the media took it and went crazy. It involved like 10 cats in one home, 
and the home was belonged to a person whose brother was trying to create the cat litter. Uh-huh. Follow Humbly, the money. <laughs> I actually asked the right questions and convinced my editor, and we did a story that said this is not a legitimate study. And there's some, uh, you know, motivations uh, other other than uh, genuine involved. Yeah. So pay attention to the studies, um, ask questions, make sure the person maybe be board certified in a specialty area. If, if I'm going to do a story on uh, on uh, cancer and, and dogs or cats, I, I want to talk to a veterinary oncologist. And I also want to talk to someone that deals with uh, grief because if the pet, pet passes on. And I may talk to a general practice veterinarian who can share a story of maybe success with the permission of the pet parent. So you get layers. So you get the latest research, maybe from a Cornell or a Tufts or a Purdue veterinary school in oncology, but then you also bring it home to help relate, oh my gosh, my dog just got diagnosed with cancer. What do I do? And, you know, talk to people. And then what do you do if something happens where the pet passes on? And how do you deal with grief? So I, I think about it as layering. I don't know. Does that make sense, Colin? It does. It does. Different perspectives, um, different sources, and different applications to both yourself and the reader to get a full stack of the story and to get, get a lot of depth, too. Because if you just interview the researcher, it's not going to be easy yeah. to apply a lot of the stats <laughs> and the numbers. And yeah. Okay, whatever. but when you start being like, okay, this is where the boots hit the ground is in this, right. the, the grief, the actual impact. You can start making more connections that way. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Claire from Acting Criticators has this to say. Time to Pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software and start the new year on a new foot, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timedpet.com slash confessional. One thing that, that I know you're really good at is, is asking really good questions because at the foundation of that is asking good questions because you're not an expert in all of those and we're not experts in everything. So what to, to you, how do you formulate those questions? How do you start picking away to start getting the information that you want? Because we ask questions a lot of time. Yeah, you're in a meet and greet with a client and they say they have two dogs and a cat and you see three dogs and two cats, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> um, I say the first rule is, is to do your homework before you ask your first question. Mm. Find out a little bit about the person. If you're doing an article, let's do it in two ways. Let's do a meet and greet and, and an article. So in a meet and greet, you are acting like a pet detective, which is like being a journalist. You're looking, you're listening. You're doing everything you can to gather clues about this home environment. You know, what's the body language you see in that dog or cat? How, I know you guys could write books on this. How wacky, dirty, or crazy things are in that house that may, may cause an injury or an illness to a dog or a cat. Is, is the litter box, like, overflowing? I mean, so you, and you have to use discretion and, and tact. 
So a technique that we use as reporters is to ask rhetorical questions. So how yeah how do you how do you think about the the litter box? What's your what's your thoughts on that? You know, it's like, well, yeah, I just don't have time to clean it. It's I know my cat hates it. You know, yeah, I'm sure that I wonder how the cat from the cat standpoint instead of accusing and 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 uh, and berating someone, maybe you can say I. There's a lot of conditions that that can happen to a cat's respiratory system or their plumbing. And I know you don't want to pay a high veterinary bill. It sounds like it looks like you really love Fluffy. And uh, so you can guide someone as a pet sitter to help them have more hygiene habits for their pet. Colin, come on. You've probably walked into a house where the litter box is just like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, or either either the conditions aren't okay, or you start picking up on the owner, the way their bo- their body language is and the tone in their voice. They might not really care about the cat, and they feel like the cat's a burden, or they yeah. they're not that interested in something. So you're you've, you're reading both the body language of the animal and also the owner as well to see how interested are they in this. Are they are they vested in in the proper care and in maintenance of this pet that they've brought into their home or, or are they just going to ignore you and fly off and you know do other things? Right. But the motivation may be the pocketbook that yes. the cat may have um, expensive bills or you may not have friends want to come over because your house smells like a toilet, <laughs> but you can't say that word. No. Um, so number one, so from the meet and greet, I, I I think it's nice to establish eye contact to when you're asking a question, avoid run on questions with lots of da 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 because the person trying to field it, it's like an outfielder and somebody just hit a screaming shot from um, home plate at you. And then somebody else is juggling next to you. They, they can't focus. They can't figure out what question they ask. So clean. Clean, short questions always help and be polite and, and say the person's name and, and, and say things that bring you and I together rather than me telling you how I'm going to do this. It's, hey, sounds like you're going to have a great vacation. I know we've all been wanting a great vacation so long. And it sounds like you really want to make sure that your your cat or dog is really cared for while you're gone. So let's talk about what we all can do together to make this happen. Yeah. What do you think about that approach, Colin? Yeah, the, the we language is really important because you're right. That immediately gets you on their side. We're talking, we're in this together. Um, I'm a resource. I'm helping you. Now you help me help you. And we can work together on this. Yes, exactly. So in the meet and greet, it's a we. Uh, in first aid, when I'm at a pet emergency situation, people love their pets. I'm going to say 99% do. Uh, maybe I'm an optimist. But when something happens to a pet who is in pain and the person starts to freak out, you need to say things, as I teach my students, is I'm trained in pet first aid. I'm here to help you. You go to the car, if you would, and get out a blanket. Would you call your veterinarian? I'm like if your dog got hit by a car. I'm going to stabilize. What's your dog's name? You know, so you you don't ever say the question, can I help you? When you ask something like, can I do something to someone? When someone's emotionally uh, crippled, they're going to fly off the handle. But if you say quickly, hey, I'm trained in first aid. I'm here to help you. 
then you can get an action plan. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing how the first words out of our mouth really do set the tone for a lot that's yeah. going to follow. And especially in those emergency situations, the expected behavior that we want somebody to have, it really does build that relationship and, and set those expectations pretty quickly. Because like, when I teach my classes, it's pet first aid for you. And I also teach an instructor training program under Pro Pet Health. I teach people, I give everybody in my class permission to freak out later. And that is a big gift to give for you all as pet sitters, because you walk in, you're frontline workers. Come on. You guys come into a house and maybe the lamp broke and there and the and there's shards of a of a light bulb in the mouth of a basset hound. If you remind yourselves that you have permission to freak out later and you tap into your Let's think like a first responder, look, listen, safely touch, smell, and be able to approach the animal safely. You're going to do so much better for you and for that pet. And then when things have stabilized and the pet is at the vet, freak out, please, because we need to when that adrenaline has finally drained. So I think pet sitters walk in, listen to that dog on the other side of the door. You know, pay attention to those cues. I've, I've done a lot of um, presentations at uh, Pet Sitter International and, and NAPS, and that's that's a big deal. You guys are walking into a home, and the the person is not there anymore. And the dog is like, I met you one time, dude. Why are you in my house? So I, hats off to you. But gather the clues, be in the present moment, freak out later. And watch what and how you say anything to a dog or a cat because they smell our emotional states. Mm. Things like, hey, I'm here for you. Gotcha. No baby talk, no apologies, and no tough guy. Um, you will be amazed at how much better you will be able to handle that dog or cat. It's interesting to hear you talk about pet first aid and CPR from the mental and emotional side. As that's, opposed, that's, as, that's big. That's huge. That is why you can handle a fractious cat or a, a, a dog, you know, and, and I've been very blessed because I get to work with a team of 12 veterinarians that are got like Vanna White initials after their name. They're, you know, board certified <laughs> in ER, critical care, internal, feline medicine, house call vets. And I keep learning from them, but they have taught me repeatedly. Do not undersell the mental game, your state of mind in a pet emergency. I show everybody how to wrap a wound and splint and do CPR and all the physical mechanics. But if you don't have that mental part, you're not going to be as successful. Yeah, because you you mentioned we come into a home and we have no idea what is on the other side of that door. And we we have to take that seriously. I think many times I know I can become blasé about it. It's just another day. I'm just opening up the door. But if I am so far out in left field that I see see something that, you know, the dog is eating you know something not supposed to or is lying motionless on the floor, I've got to be able to have some mental muscles to pull myself back together. 
and, and hold myself ready. So what are some ways we can start building that and build some of that resiliency? Well, I think that's you. As we said, you are a first responder, and sometimes the response is something benign, like feeding the the cat and walking the dog. And sometimes the response is, "Uh oh, has happened inside the home." Mm. So thinking like a first responder. As I've learned from the paramedics, firefighters, doctors, nurses, veterinarians, and vet techs that I teach in my classes, they all do the same thing, which I'm going to share with all of you. You need to take a deep breath in and let it out when you open that door. Why are you doing that? That gets you into the present moment. You're not thinking about what has happened. You shouldn't be thinking about your next visit. You should be in, as my cat Casey likes to say, the me now. You have to be in the present moment. And one of the quickest ways to get in the present moment, first responders do, and let it out, the deep breath. The second thing, you need to do a quick check of your surroundings. We call it in the first responder world, a 360. So you do need to look forward, left, right, up, down, and definitely behind you. Because you can be prepared for any uh uh-ohs that might be coming your way. Maybe, as you said earlier, the dog is on the on the on the um, living room rug still because there's a burglar in your client's house. So I always, even in my own house, <laughs> I come in with groceries, silly, but it's ingrained in me now. I do a three sixty. That's the and then your approach, um, running, screaming, high pitched voices. You know, those all trigger fight or flight in a dog or a cat. And so calmness, saying the pet's name, hey, I'm here. You know, uh, deliberate motions, not ah, all over the place. Those are just, just they, they seem little, but they can do so much. They really, really they can. And it's, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes to bring ourselves under that control. But I think for me, what really helps is having practiced, as you mentioned, the mechanics of the other stuff. I'm better able to keep my emotions under control whenever I have practiced the bandage 10,000 times. So I don't even have to think about it. Right, right. And, and when you when you are doing anything, like feeding the pet, or wrapping a wound, talk out loud. Mm-hmm. Because it's also your your inner voice is being a cheerleader. Your inner voice is is motivating you, and the dog or cat is hearing a competent human that they want to hear. And and so, you know, I've heard the jokes that you all have used all the time. Well, um, Kona, where would the can opener be if you were a can opener? <laughs> because you all don't know if you have secret webcams being zoomed on you in the kitchen or even at hopefully not the bathroom. Uh-huh. So I know a lot of my friends who are pet sitters are saying, oh, we talk out loud all the time and have conversations with the dog or cat when we're trying to find something we need to use to provide the care for the pet. Uh-huh. Am I wrong uh, or not, Colin? <laughs> no, absolutely. You're totally right. Um, I do it, yeah, because it's uh, one, if I'm being watched, I want them to know what my actions are because they need to be watching this silent movie of me rummaging through cabinets and, and I need to let them know I'm looking for a can opener. And, and I think, too, as you mentioned, it does build our confidence. I, I had a very real moment last week. I was walking two dogs. It was very late okay. at night and it was in a part of town that has no street lights. Oh, and great. I started to get a little freaked out about some cars that were driving around and some people that were walking. So I just started 
talking to the dogs out loud. Good. And it was, it was, it was amazing the difference that that made just in my self-confidence and helped bringing me back down and calming me back down. So I, I could think, so I could think more level-headed. I'm sure, again, the neighbors probably thought I was crazy, but I didn't care at that time. <laughs> well, if you're talking to Bowser and Buddy and they hear their names and you're being confident, you're also building um, a relationship with them. And I think when you're in a house and you're feeding the pets and, you know, you have only so much time talking to them is, is a good thing because you're building a relationship. And, yeah. and so those, those are things. So I don't know if I got off the track, but <laughs> be a pet detective, be in the present moment, have permission to freak out later. Um, those are some of the skill sets that apply to so many aspects of our lives. Um, I think I'm a better wife because of it. I think I listen better now. <laughs> so it's, you know, we're never too old to learn. And that's the other thing. Many folks that have become professional pet sitters, I interview them for the Pet Sitter magazine that NAPS puts out, the digital magazine. I am floored by some of the different backgrounds. And now they're doing their passion career. And that is pet sitting. You know, we're talking people that worked in uh, labs, uh, people that may be bankers, people that were real estate agents, people that were who knows. They come from all walks of life. And my message is don't give up the skill set you got from those other occupations, because you're going to be surprised how they apply in your new vocation, which is the vocation of passion, which is pet sitting. Yeah. That you know, we we tend to think a lot of these are not transferable skills, or we think, oh, oh I don't have God. any skills in that. But that's totally we we have applicable applicable skills that can be applied, and and it's kind of like translating your CV from one to another and just using different words. But it's it's all applicable, and there's so many it things is. that carry over. And also, know what you're good at, and know where you need help. I know that I'm good with words. I know I love to interview people. I know I'm I'm good at not freaking out if a pet is injured. I've I've done CPR on animals. I've treated wounds. Those things don't bother me. I do am not a, a, a numbers gal when it comes to reconciling my checking account or um, making my QuickBooks maybe win award of the of the month because it's so perfect. Nope, that's not my that's not in my wheelhouse. So what do I do? I have a business manager. Her name is Erin, Erin Fenstermaker. She is amazing with numbers. She has kept me grounded. And so my advice to all of us is find out what you really are good at and find somebody that you can deal, team up with that may pump up some of the areas that you're, you're not so good at. And so it's like having an opposite, but it's a good opposite. So I don't know what the situation with Megan and you, Colin, but I'm sure there's some strengths and weaknesses you have as a couple and as a co-hosting on the podcast. And if you recognize where one has a strength and the other is, has a strength and it makes you better. It really does. And, and yeah, we, we are total polar opposites in many cases with our strengths and our weaknesses. And it takes a lot of humility as a person to realize that you don't have strengths in a certain area. Because especially as small business owners and entrepreneurs, we feel like we have to be the ones doing everything all of the time. And That's we've got to know point. it all. Well, during COVID, I was amazed by the number of professional pet sitter owners 
who suddenly learned how to do their books, who suddenly learned a new application to download, taking client um, and scheduling and all the stuff that we would stash in the corner and say, someday we'll get to it. Well, COVID made many pet sitters hit that someday button is now. And I think that makes them stronger business people. And I do know a lot of the organizations, PSI, NAPS and others, I have seen a boost in the business side of helping pet sitters mm-hmm. and, you know, more webinars and things like that are featuring people that aren't just talking about the behavior of a pet or um, how to do a dog walk. They're, they're really getting into things like, you know, how do you reconcile your books? What happens when COVID hits and you have to file for um, some, uh, a grant and, and things like that. So, I'm really proud of the industry. It's it's evolving, and I think COVID. I guess I'm a full glass kind of gal looking at it. It's it's made us stronger as as independent business people, and uh, and I think that this is going to make the pet sitting industry even stronger. I, I couldn't agree more. It was it was amazing to see the number of people who started to look at their books for the first time and realize, right. ooh, my ship is actually a lot leakier than I thought. Uh, <laughs> I need to shore this up or I need to learn these skills because we weren't out there doing the pet sitting, the dog walking, the drop-ins. We had a lot of time on our hands. And I do, I do really feel like that we had a lot better – as an industry, you're right, we have a lot better foundations in business than we did a year ago, two years ago. And, and that's only yeah, going to help us. Things- when I write articles for the NAPS magazine, uh, there's, uh, you know, the whole area of insurance. There's so many aspects and it's different by which state you live in and the laws are always changing. So you, you have to make sure that you're following what the, the rules and regulations are for your particular state. And how much insurance do you provide? Do you have independent contractors or do you go full throttle with employees. And so there's a lot of issues. It is, and it's well beyond the end of the leash or the end of the litter box scoop. There's so much to it. I mean, this is a tough profession. There's a lot of aspects to it. And one of that aspects that, that I think doesn't get enough light on it is the role of of educators that that pet sitters are and and do. And I know you, you have a, a long background and a passion for educating others mm-hmm. and, and and people as as pet sitters and business owners what advice would you give to us to be better at educating to be better at communicating to people to things that we want them to know well you are as we said the front line you're on the front line and you're trusted and people are going to feel comfortable talking to you that uh, because you're taking care of their most priceless asset their pet and they want a pet sitter that has information or can offer them sources of information. So I, I see that as an important role in educating. It's okay to say to a client, I, I don't know that answer, but I'm going to find out. So number one, which we learned in journalism, is don't pretend and give an answer that isn't under any, without any foundation. It's okay to admit you're not uh, uh, you know, uh, that you're human and that you don't know the answer. Number two, make sure, as we said at the beginning of this, get valid um, sources, catbets.com, 
Fear Free, Happy Homes, AKC, you know, CFA, whatever, AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, the respective pet sitting organizations, they have a lot of information. So number two is do your homework and make sure your sources are valid. And three, when you are educating someone, it, it's never a me talk, you listen. It should, that is not learning. Learning doesn't happen when someone spats, la, 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 and you're like, your ears are like, oh, they're overloaded. So engage your clients, ask them questions, and learn more about their circumstances so that when you might have come up with a plan, to help them with a specific issue with a dog or a cat, you have taken the time as an educator to listen so that you can better respond to their needs. Mm. And I think that's counterintuitive to what many of us may expect. Of when my job as educating is I need to be talking an awful lot and I need to be filling this space. And instead going, uh, we're actually need to listen so that, as you said, we can be addressing the right issue for the right reason. Yeah. Give me an example. I teach different levels of pet first aid. I teach for pet parents with no certification, quick courses. They don't really care about it, uh, a thing hanging on their wall. I teach teach a, a certification class for people like yourselves, pet professionals. But then I also teach a two day, we're talking 16 hour class for people wanting to be instructors. Would you want Colin for me to talk to you for 16 hours? No, 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 thank you. <laughs> no offense. No, no thank you either. So how do you do it? You got to teach them things. Well, you engage them. You ask rhetorical questions. You find out their strengths and you remember what their circumstances are. So when you're educating someone, they're more apt to pay attention when you, when you, you say, you know, hey, Arden, that's right. You have a cat named Casey who's a therapy pet. And, you know, ginger cats, believe it or not, they get this dark pigmentation on their gums and their nose and under their eyes when they become men. Uh, so can you want to check it, uh, Casey's gums? Does he have any of those um, marks on his, on his gums? Well, yes, teacher, he does. Well, we check that out to make sure there's no uh, swelling, bleeding, any discharge. Otherwise, it's this freaky anomaly that ginger cats have. I listened to the student who has a ginger cat. I said the cat's name and I gave them a bit of an information, but I did it in an engaging way. So I guess in your meet and greets, really take notes on the names of the pets, uh, circumstances that the, the people are saying, record it if it's easier for you so you can have a conversation. But then bring those bits of information in when you have a conversation and you're talking, uh, want to share them and educate them on something. They're going to be more receptive. Mm-hmm. And just knowing something more about their pet than just I'm taking care of them. Because when an issue does arise, you know, just a great example that we run into a lot is dogs who were rescued from the shelter. And the, the early history of the pet is almost totally unknown to them. If you can bring that in and use that as an intro into saying, hey, you know, I really noticed Zeus 
uh, was having this behavior. And I know that he's a shelter dog and we don't really know these things. We let's, let's work with this. I, and I know this trainer who deals specifically with dogs from shelters. I think that'd be a good, you know, relationship to bring it. Yes. Very good. And, and you can have two dogs in the same household with two different personalities that may have been litter mates, but because of environmental experiences had totally different ways of thinking about the world. So I love that's perfect. And when you're educating too, it's um, keep it short. If you're writing an article, it's always good to use bullet points. Don't use big fat um, uh, paragraphs. One of my best editors taught me, Arden, you're in a boat, a rowboat with a a bunch of words in that rowboat and you got a leak. Okay, editor, what are you driving at? (laughs) What words can you pitch out of that boat Mm. and keep your boat afloat, not sink and make it to shore? And the shore means that your article is readable. So when you write, a good tip is write it like wet pasta on the wall, step back and start pruning. And ask yourself, talk in a conversational tone. I'm talking with you, Colin, right now. So I'm thinking, what would intrigue him? So write as you are talking. Mm. And so you may, you know, he's probably really wanting to know um, how to do CPR, rescue breathing, and, and I'm going to show him in a fun way. But so bullet points, try to be conversational before you even put the first word on the keyboard. If you have a trusted friend, talk about the article as if you're sharing a story with them. Hey, I want to talk to you about um, why you should be a poopologist, you know, because it's it's important as a pet sitter. And I didn't know this. Did you know this? That veterinarians actually scored on a, a poop on a score of one to seven. If you can have some competent a trusted confidant that you can say, I'm working on this story for my clients. Can I just bounce off some of the things I'm thinking about, including uh, take them to lunch, whatever you need to do. But sometimes saying it out loud and listening and watching the response from somebody else before you put it down in words may make writing much easier. Pet Perennials makes it easy as one, two, three to send a heartfelt condolence gift directly to someone with a broken heart. And it really is that simple. Just earlier today, actually, one of our clients reached out to us to let us know that Ellie was no longer with us. And she wanted to thank us so much for all the love and attention that we had given her over the years. Right on my phone, I pulled up our account on Pet Perennials and just a couple of clicks had sent a gift and a handwritten card that was uniquely wrapped just for her. They offer an array of milestone gifts and greeting cards for birthdays, get well wishes, and new pets as well. And if there's a special human client who's just an absolute pet lover, you can send them gifts too. If you're interested, register for a free account to unlock the all-inclusive discounted package prices. The service is used on an as-need basis, so there are no monthly, annual, or minimum purchases. Register now by going to petperennials.com slash pages slash GPS and use the referral code PSC at registration to get a unique coupon code and save $2 off any package that you send in your first 90 days. To, to me, it's also less intimidating because writing is a very, to me, just conceptually, is a very linear process. And my thinking 
is very non-linear. And ta- right. ta- talking it out helps me kind of spiderweb ideas and kind of go here and there a little bit. And then yeah, I can on your page where you've got little things like I always do little things like, you know, if there's a I'm doing a story right now, why dogs pant? <laughs> and well, there's medical reasons. There's behavioral reasons. There's environmental reasons. So there I got three little chunks right there. Plop, plop, plop. What are some of those things? Then the obvious. Well, what should we look for as a pet parent or a pet sitter that makes this uh-oh or normal? Right. So what are some of the things? And then always do something proactive, like, well, what can we do to avoid this or minimize this? So if you think like that, you've already got an outline in your head. And, it, and again, you're trying to bring in some, some real-world applications, some of your stories, experiences that you have as a pet sitter. There's, there's a lot there that you can tie in. And again, reminding ourselves, I don't have to be the expert, world-renowned expert in panting in dogs. I just have to ask some good questions and do a little bit of research. Right. And don't be like my father who says, Ardo, do you know what people do that men step, that dogs do that men step in? Pants. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm so I'm. This is for a pretty high level um, uh, publication. I'm writing about panting, sure. and I, I keep wanting to re- put in dad's joke, yeah. the old the dad dad's joke. But I'm like, I, no, 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 no. I don't think that's appropriate. But I could do it on your show. So there you I, go. Yeah. I, I I like it. <laughs> the pant joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a key part of that process that you said was, you know, write like with the wet noodles and then take away. It's the takeaway part that I know a lot of people struggle with, kind of that self-editing to know what to keep in and yeah. leave out. Well, think of the rowboat analogies with dumping out extra words. Yeah. Long phrases, comma, blank, 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 colon. You know, when you when you have a sentence that fills a whole paragraph, and a person has to take two breaths, three breaths to get through it, that is too long of a sentence. Mm-hmm. Writing tight is hard. Writing tight is very hard, but it's also the most efficient and the most well-received. That's probably why my favorite writer is Ernest Hemingway, because he could punch up emotions and drama in short, simple sentences. I'm not a fan of Fitzgerald. So, as a reporter, I as a journalist, we we sometimes we are not English professors. We are not uh, uh, English language. We have been trained to write like people talk, yeah. and and that's my gift to the pet sitters who are doing blogs and other things. Write like pe- people talk. You will find people will be more engaged. They will listen and read what you've written more don't and don't think every single word has to hum has to be the best be kind to yourself writing is a process i've been doing it all my life and i still am trying to get better you look at a stephen king i bet you can ask him and he will tell you he's still learning so it's a it's an all evolving process it's it's not like you just uh, solved some puzzle and it's over. No, writing is puzzling, but you'll never, <laughs> you'll never complete the puzzle. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's something that, and, and as you mentioned, you can write write as other people talk, and you can really write as as you talk and have your own literal, you know, your voice 
in telling this. And that is something that we have to deprogram from ourselves from English days in high school because it was very much, don't write how you talk, don't write how you talk. And now... Yeah. To make it more relatable and connecting to people, and in our, in my sense, easier to write for me, I can. It's okay to write like that because I'm not writing in in that style anymore. Well, and, and it's social media. I mean, Instagram. Nobody's going to read a huge post on Instagram. <laughs> but if you had one tip with a cute picture of a dog or a cat, your mission is accomplished if you use effective hashtags. Yeah. So we are also becoming abbreviated as 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 uh, communicators right and so keep that in mind one of my favorite instagram posts is by a, a veterinarian uh, uh dr lisa and she wrote don't period use period hydrogen period peroxide period two period clean period wounds period on period pets period the effective use of the period after that in that one line with the picture of her and her cute dog, Chloe, made the message hit home. Yeah. Versus her being Miss Fancy Pants Veterinarian giving you a big diatribe about the dangers of hydrogen peroxide and trying to impress you with big words. She strategically used a period after end of each word to get the warning really across. Yeah. Yeah, just being strategic about our, our words and our photos and everything to tie in to figure out, basically sit down and go, okay, what's the message? What's the takeaway yeah. that I want people to yeah. walk away with this? And then how would I, as an individual, as a business owner, pet sitter, construct this to get them to walk away with that? Yeah, and do things like a little short boxes and sidebars and quizzes and you know bullets. So uh, don't make it a sea of words on your blog or in an article or whatever. Break it up. So because people read, if they read a newspaper, if they read a magazine or something, it's called chunking style. What does that mean? People go to that little box at the front or the picture or the pull-out quote and all that. People don't read anymore up and down one column to the other. So maximize that because people want different points of entry when they read a blog or see an article in print. Uh, they're they're look they I mean look at People Magazine look at USA Today it isn't just a sea of words and columns there's different charts there's photos there's boxes there's you know bet you didn't knows you know so think that way too Arden I know that you are all about pets and people and so in in closing here I did want to know where that comes from and and why you're so passionate <laughs> about that. Um, I guess I grew up in a family where we always had pets and I was, I'm still very close to my siblings and I didn't have the best of childhood. I alluded to it with my stepmom. It was not a good scene. And the pets in my life and the siblings in my life got me through and I'm grateful. And I realized how lucky I was because I, I saw the value of real friends and real pets. And I love to write, so I can't be any happier. I get to do now what I really want to do, and that is to get out good information to make this planet better for pets and their people. It sounds corny. I mean, people know me. Hopefully, the ones that do know this is this is real Arden. This is Arden. She's corny. Yeah. Um, but I love the people in my life. I love the pets in my life. And I'm on a mission to do whatever I can to give you the best information in the best way 
to make your life better. And silly, but I'm more enriched than I'll ever be rich. And I'm happy. And I say to all the pet sitters out there, you, you follow your passion and you will build skills that you never thought you could do. And what you're doing right now is amazing because we need our pets now more than ever with this crazy pandemic. And you all are risking your health in some situations because of the virus. I'm glad it's abating in many states, but I salute all of you because what you do matters and you're helping people see the value of, of that dog, cat, or other companion animal that, that is under their same roof. Well, I appreciate that, Arden. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today to help us be better at, at educating, about communicating, and about helping elevate the pets in people's lives and playing that role. I know that there's a lot more here and you have a lot going on. So where can people uh, find you and follow along with everything that you've got going on and, and learn more about your stuff? Well, first, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you, Colin, because it's been a conversation. Yeah. Don't you feel? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like you asked amazing questions and I wish you and Megan much success on Pet Sitter Confessional. I know you're going to kick tail. Um, people can learn more about me. Uh, I'm glad I have a weird first name, Arden, <laughs> ArdenMoore.com. Uh, they can go to my Facebook, Arden Moore. They can go to Pet First Aid, the number four, the letter U, Pet First Aid for You. And they can go to the Old Behave show on Pet Life Radio. And I'll have links for all that in the show notes and on the website so people can start learning more. Arden, again, this has been a really fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you again, Colin. Have a great day. (laughs) Think like a first responder. Because you, as a pet sitter, as a dog walker, are a trusted frontline worker in the world of pet care. I don't know about you, but when Arden talked about us in those terms, it made me a little uncomfortable, and I wasn't quite sure how to fully understand what my role is and what I should take that to mean. But to pet parents, that's how we are viewed. Pet parents view us as trusted frontline workers in the care and support of their pets, of their family members who they have to leave at home. So when we enter into a home, we never know what we're going to come into. And our clients trust us because of our background, our experience, our ability to research, and really importantly here, effectively communicate that information to them, whether it's an emergency and we have to talk to them about what is going on, or whether it's something that they've requested and wanted us to look into, giving them clear, concise, well-worded, well-presented information is one way help continue to put ourselves as a trusted authority, not just in their lives, but in the lives of their friends and families who they can refer us out to, and in our community as well. I know writing isn't everybody's favorite subject or thing to do throughout the day, so I hope you can take some of the tips that Arden gave us to heart and start implementing those in your daily business, whether you're writing blogs, whether you it's just general communication, or whether you do aspire to write a book and put together some of your own stories. We'd love to hear your feedback on how you go about asking good questions, educating your clients, what your approach is to writing. You can send those to feedback at PetSitterConfessional.com or anywhere on social media at PetSitterConfessional. We want to thank our sponsors today, Time to Pet and 
at Perennials for making today's show possible. And thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. We know we're going into an extremely busy holiday season. And so your time, your attention is very valuable. And we thank you for spending some of that with us. So as the holidays heat up, we're rooting for you. You're going to do amazing. And we will be back again soon.